So anybody can be menopausal of any age or perimenopausal. So they might still be having periods. There's so many reasons. I've seen a few women who, when they were teenagers, they just had one period and nothing more and their ovaries hadn't developed properly. I've seen quite a few young women who've had cervical cancer, vulval cancer, vaginal cancer, and those treatments actually can affect the way ovaries work. And then this sounds really obvious, but it's not always obvious to people that if you have your ovaries removed in an operation, so you have a bilateral oophorectomy, then you will become menopausal overnight. Well, that's the voice of Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist, and she knows there are plenty of reasons why we might experience non-typical menopause onset. This is the Lizard Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping us all to have a better second half. I'm Lizard, and I'm sure, as you know by now, I'm on a real mission to find ways for us all to thrive in later life by investing in our health and our well-being today. Well, today's episode actually was inspired by you. I received an email recently and it made me wonder just how many women might be thinking about the same things and asking the same questions. The email reads as follows. I just wanted to get in touch with a suggestion for menopause topics, both somewhat specialist, but both affect me and a friend. So there will be other similar women out there grateful for coverage, support and some signposting. We have or will have non-typical menopause onset due to medical conditions. And it's really hard finding support and information for people in our situation. I'm 42 and she is 46. My friend is newly post breast cancer treatment aggressive but successful and is now on medication to suppress her estrogen in order to reduce risk of cancer relapse and she has been plunged into menopause literally overnight. As for me, I have non-functioning pituitary gland due to rare childbirth complications known as Sheehan syndrome. All bodily hormones currently replaced with medication, but I will be put into a rapid menopause around the age of 50 when oestrogen is withdrawn. Like I say, there will be thousands of others out there who won't have a quote natural menopause, which is further isolating amidst medical conditions that can be so isolating enough on their own. Well, I couldn't think of anyone better than Dr. Louise Newson to talk us through the particular experiences that you've very kindly shared, as well as other reasons someone might not have a natural menopause, as you say. Louise is a GP and menopause specialist. She's the founder of the Menopause Charity, the Balance App, and is a member of the Government Menopause Task Force. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Louise, it's a real pleasure as always to sit down and get to chat with you. It's just, you've been so busy. You've published a brilliant book. You just seem to be podcasting every hour of the day. I don't know quite. When you have time to sleep, do you ever sleep? I do actually, Liz. I don't sleep for long, but the sleep that I have is really good. And partly because I obviously balance my hormones, my sleep wasn't very effective before when I was perimenopausal. But yeah, thanks for inviting me. It's such a privilege to talk to you. And you're so inspirational. I just want to publicly say the work that you're doing for women is huge. And it's lovely because we're all amplifying each other and working together in so many ways, lots of ways that people don't always realise until it all comes together. But just having this conversation, just listening to you, reading out these these stories, these questions from women, where would they go to otherwise? And to have a channel where people can ask and realise that actually there could be help is so important, isn't it? It really is. I, I, I love my job. I know you love your job. It's why we get up in the morning and do what we do. And I think the chance to have conversations and to communicate. And for me, the, the dream is to have people like you, literally global expert specialists who are able to give impartial, unbiased information, you know, with no vested interest. And I should say this right from the beginning. I've known you for many, many years. You do not take a penny from the pharmaceutical industries. This is not about selling HRT or promoting any kind of medication. It is genuinely about helping women. So let's have a look at this email then from one of our lovely listeners, starting with the friend who's 46. She's just have a quote, aggressive but successful treatment for breast cancer, which is good that it's been successful. What would have been happening here? And is she now menopausal overnight? What what does that look like for her? And, and why does that happen? Yeah, so obviously, breast cancer is very common, it affects one in seven women. And there are very many different types of breast cancer. There are different, um, what they do when they, they remove a breast cancer, they look to see whether it's got oestrogen receptors on it or not. Um, they look at the, the size of the tumour, they look at the grade and also whether it's spread in any way as well. So for women with breast cancer are often very different. So obviously this is a very generalised conversation. But one of the treatments for breast cancer is obviously the, the actually the treatment that has the biggest effect when you're looking at long-term outcome is removal of the tumour, so surgery. Some people have radiotherapy and some people have chemotherapy. And then some people are, have adjuvant treatments, which is normally a hormonal treatment if they have an oestrogen receptor positive cancer and it's deemed that that will improve outcome as well. Now, just to unpick it a bit further, having an oestrogen receptor in a cancer is actually quite a good thing because we've got oestrogen receptors, as you know, Liz, all over our body in every single cell. Breast cancers are no different. They have oestrogen receptors on them. So yeah, so so surely every cancer is going to have an oestrogen receptor in it, isn't it? If you test for it, yes. Yeah. And the more they test, the more they find oestrogen receptors. Yeah. Now, there are some types of breast cancer that don't have oestrogen receptors on them. And that's because those cancers actually are usually a bit more aggressive. And the cancer, if you like, mutates and, and gets rid of the oestrogen receptors. So an oestrogen receptor negative cancer actually isn't the more typical type of breast cancer. So a lot of people think that breast cancer, it sort of develops these oestrogen receptors and it's caused by oestrogen. And we there isn't any good quality studies that show that oestrogen causes breast cancer. And I want to say that because I think it's very reassuring 
for those people who have developed a breast cancer and think, oh, is it because I took the contraceptive pill? Is it because I've taken HRT? No, usually people develop breast cancer from bad luck, actually. And there are some increased risk factors, for example, being older or having a family history. Some lifestyles can increase risk. But for a lot of people, it's a common cancer that happens. So when they look at the studies, there are some estrogen blocking treatments that can help. But actually, when you look, it's, it's a very small percentage, but they can improve outcome. And so some of these are called aromatase inhibitors, and they block every single cell, if you like, of estrogen in the body. There's tamoxifen, which is a CIRM, it's a selective estrogen receptor modulator, so it can stimulate and block estrogen receptors depending on whereabouts in the body it's working. Some people have their ovaries removed to reduce hormones in the body. But all of these treatments can render people menopausal. They might only be menopausal for the time that they're on those treatments and then their periods might come back. Or for some women like this lady, if she's 46 and she's advised to be on one of these treatments maybe for five years, then she's likely to carry on being menopausal just because of her age. But it doesn't really matter the age. If you don't have hormones, it often can cause symptoms. And some people, as you know, are fine. They don't have symptoms. But there are quite a few people who've had breast cancer who have quite disabling and disabilitating symptoms. And, you know, I, I speak to people, obviously, on the more extreme end. And, you know, I see people who can't sleep at night. They can't think properly. They're very low in their mood. They're very anxious. Quite a few people on aromatase inhibitors have really bad muscle and joint pains and often say that they wake up in the night with the most excruciating bone pain. Mm. Or they have a lot of vaginal dryness and urinary symptoms. So... It's 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 very individualised and what we don't know is how safe having HRT is and this is where it's a very individualised consultation depending on the individual symptoms, what they've tried before, what their concerns are, what the benefits it might be for them of taking HRT. Um, sadly, we haven't got good quality studies, as you know, looking into this area. But it's, it's very common as breast cancer is becoming more common. You know, if one in seven women have breast cancer, not all of them will be estrogen receptor, of course, but that's a significant number of women who will be made menopausal because of their treatment. And what we're, we're just about to start um, a study, actually, we've just put in ethical approval for it to actually ask a questionnaire to women, finding out what their experiences are of being informed about their menopause and treatment choices because a lot of women think oh it's just stopping my periods it doesn't really matter I don't need my periods they're not realizing the symptoms but also the health risks yes. of having these low hormones well we'll definitely come on I think in in the second part of this podcast to talk about the health risks of not having hormones um, I'm really fascinated by that and the few statistics that you've thrown out there you know one in seven women getting breast cancer it wasn't that long ago and the figures were were one in 12 so that's been a dramatic rise over the decades yeah. and yet isn't that interesting Liz yeah yeah prescribing of HRT has reduced yeah so you would have thought that if, if less HRT has been prescribed over the last sort of 20 years breast cancer rates if that was going to be linked to it breast cancer rates should have plummeted should have really fallen but actually no they've they've risen is there a case then for saying that hormones actually prevent breast cancer 
Well, you know, I'm not going to live long enough to see the results of a study, but I'm really sure with time um, we'll know that people who take HRT have a lower risk of all cancers. And that's looking at, I know that sounds a really big thing to say, but when you look at how oestrogen helps with our immune system and our immune system protects us from disease, not just from infections. And we know, don't we, from the study from 20 years ago, the WHI study, that women have a lower risk of bowel cancer. Yes. They also have a lower risk of dying from any type of uh, breast cancer when they're on HRT. So we can't deny the benefits. We also know that women who only have oestrogen, who've had a hysterectomy, when they took HRT, oestrogen only HRT, they had a lower risk of developing breast cancer. So, you know, oestrogen has really good effects in our body. And um, so so this increased incidence obviously isn't due to HRT prescribing. Um, but there are these other lifestyle factors and as you know well obesity, obesity yeah, I was about to there, say yeah. you know you only have to look yeah. at you know video footage of people in the 1950s walking down the street or on the beach and then compare that to today there is just no mm. question we are getting colossally fatter as a nation as a global community mm. and you know our rates of breast cancer we know that being overweight is is a significant risk for for breast cancer and it's it's unfortunate isn't it that people i guess rather than maybe taking a little bit of ownership in terms of lifestyle, you know, the fact that alcohol, for example, is also linked to increased risk of breast cancer, lack of exercise, etc. It's kind of almost easier to say, oh, well, it's because I was taking HRT or it was because I was taking the contraceptive pill. That's why it happened. Yes. And, and it's really difficult because there are a lot of people who, you know, will develop breast cancer taking HRT, but they will have developed it anyway. Yes, well, if it's going to be one in seven, you know, if you have seven women in in a room all taking HRT, one will develop breast cancer, but that's not to say it's the cause. It's like you've got seven women in a room who brush their teeth. Totally true, isn't it? You know, (laughs) is it the toothbrushing that's causing the breast cancer? Causation, it's it's so tricky, isn't it? All these studies, I'm picking it. I'm glad I'm not a researcher. And then it's speculation as well. And sometimes these results, and that's what happened to WHI study, they were trying to shoehorn a result in to sensationalise the reason for stopping a study. And it's obviously a really good media story, but it's not so good for those women who are suffering. You know, it's just such a shame that women are just told, no, you can never have hormones. And, you know, in medicine, we can never say never. You just can't do it for people. I always, every single consultation, I'll always say to women, or men when I used to see men as well, look, if this doesn't work, come back because we can try this or that, or that there's always other things we can do. So I think just to sit there and say, no, I can't do anything, you can never, is really, really insulting for women because a lot of times, you know, women who've had breast cancer come and see me and they're not coming because they want HRT, they're just coming because they want to be listened to, they want to be understood. And that's a treatment in itself, actually, just having the power of listening and understanding. Mm. Haven't we also got new nice guidelines about collaborative care with with doctors and, and joint decision making? Yeah, you're very good, Liz. Yeah, so we've got the shared decision making guidelines that came out from NICE, at the National Institute of Health and Care Excellence. And they're very clear. And we've, we should do this all the time with every consultation that um, the patient should be in control. They should have a good level of understanding. They can share their concerns about any benefits as well as any risks of any treatment that's an option for them. And this is where I feel with menopause care, when there's so much discussion about the potential risks and why we shouldn't be prescribing HRT or whether we should, 
actually, it's not for me to decide whether a woman should take HRT or not. I can advise them about the evidence. I can advise them about any risks, but I'm not living their life day on day. I don't know what it's like to feel like them. They should be empowered so they can make the decision that's right for them at the right time. Oh, my goodness. I, I think, you know, there are so many people going to be listening to this thinking we, we just need to clone you and we just need to get you out there. <laughs> and I think that whole issue of joint decision making, informed consent, you know, it's my body, my choice. And we, we've, mm-hmm. you know, we've taken that slogan on, haven't we, in, in terms of, you know, pregnancy issues, you know, let's let's take that to the next phase of our lives. And, and it is, you know, my body, my choice, especially when we have so many attendant health benefits. But before we get on to that, let's just address the second part, actually, of our listeners email. Our writer here is 42. She says she has a non-functioning pituitary gland. I've not actually heard of this. Sheehan syndrome, if I said that correctly. Uh, what yes, is that? Have. <laughs> what is it? It's named after Professor Sheehan, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very uncommon, just to reassure people, but it's actually, it's also called um, empty cellar syndrome, I think, if I remember from, from medical student days. So for some people after pregnancy, it's like their pituitary gland almost disappears. And our pituitary gland produces all sorts of hormones. It produces our steroids, so our, um, the steroids and our thyroid. A lot of people would have heard of uh, thyroxine and also our sex hormones as well. And so it's very unusual, but when it's diagnosed or some people have a a pituitary gland that doesn't function or so there can be a type of uh, tumour, normally it's non-malignant, called a pituitary adenoma. And if that's removed, it can remove some of the pituitary gland and then the hormones aren't being produced. So there's reasons why the pituitary doesn't work. But if it doesn't work and doesn't produce hormones, obviously we replace them. What's very interesting is that endocrinologists often have the most amazing training in hormones but they often don't have training in the menopause so I've seen quite a lot of women in my clinic who have had problems with their pituitary gland and they've been on steroid hormones they've been on thyroxine and they've never been on on uh, estrogen or testosterone which does seem a bit crazy how can you be an endocrinologist specializing in hormones and not cover off the most important female hormones in our bodies Well, it's the same as saying, how can you be a cardiologist and see women who have palpitations and not know anything about HRT? How can you be a psychiatrist and know about mood and nothing about hormones? So it's just what's happened. Medicine's become so fragmented. And the menopause has been a Cinderella specialty. No one's taken ownership of it. It's sort of been numbered to gynecologists. But actually, if you look at the menopause, what it means, it's a lack of periods. So as a menopausal woman, why would I need to go and see a gynecologist? Yes, the last person really, isn't it? Because you're not going to get pregnant. No, and it's no it's no disrespect. I mean, gynecologists deal with diseases of our gyne organs, you know. So why would they be interested in the menopause? It just it's just happened because, you know, the last twenty years no one's been interested in the menopause. So it's just been sort of pushed under the carpet. But it sounds like this lady might be on on HRT if she said that she's got to go through a menopause when she's fifty, which sounds like they're going to stop her. HRT when she's 50 yes. or 51 which is the average age of the menopause but once you're on HRT as you know this you don't have to stop it don't because there are benefits to, mm. to um, carrying on with it so yeah they wouldn't stop her thyroxine because she reached a certain age for example. 
Very interesting. Well, I hope, dear listener, that you are listening to this and have been helped and will do a lot of uh, digging around in the research and the data so that when you do reach that age and you do have those medical consultations, you can have a, an informed discussion with your medics and get the appropriate care. I should just say, actually, for anybody listening, I'm very proud of the app that you developed, Balance Menopause. Do you want to just talk us through that? Because I have a lot of listeners globally and the great thing about a digital app is that it has a global reach and it's it's free and the information is is just brilliant. So how can people access that? Oh, thanks, Liz. So I developed the Balance app just over, well, two and a half years ago now. And I actually did it out of frustration because, as you know, when I was perimenopausal, I had no idea what was happening to me and I blamed it on my husband breathing too loudly, being so irritable and just having three children and being busy. And I just didn't really think because I've never been, you know, some people like to color code their diaries and, and put a little symbol when they have their periods. And for me, periods just came and went. I didn't really think about them. So I didn't monitor that they become less frequent. And I wasn't monitoring any symptoms because I wasn't thinking about myself because I was too busy working. Um, so when I realised what was going on, obviously, and got help and, and obviously became a menopause specialist listening to all these stories of women who, again, like me, had ignored themselves, I thought, wouldn't it be good to have an app where we can monitor symptoms and actually then make the consultation really easy? Because in 10 minutes, it's not long, but actually, if you know what you're doing, and I hopefully did quite a lot when I was a GP, I, in 10 minutes, I can pretty much help people very quickly if you've got the right knowledge and you pace yourself with the right timing but there's so many symptoms of the menopause and so many people say once one problem one consultation well do you go with your headaches or do you go with your joint pains or do you go with your low mood or do you go with your urinary symptoms or do you go with your tinnitus or your dry eyes or your palpitations and then that's really hard because if actually someone came to me and said I'm getting really bad palpitations occurring most nights all I'm going to think about is their heart. Um, if they come and say, oh, I've got a really low mood, I'm bursting into tears, I can't sleep very well, of course I'm going to think about, are they depressed, do they need antidepressants? So within the app, people can monitor the symptoms and it creates a health report. So then you can download it, print it off or email it in advance to your healthcare practitioner and say, look, these are my symptoms, it will monitor your periods if you're having them and say, look, my periods are changing, these are the symptoms. I think I'm perimenopausal or menopausal. Can you just let me talk now for the next nine and a half minutes yes. about treatment choices? And as a doctor, it's great because I can look down that, that list and I can see, right, okay, Liz, so you're really struggling with this, this, this and symptom. This one's not so bad. Well, let me reassure you and concentrate on how these could be related to your hormones. And now let's talk about treatment choices. And it's it's really easy. So a lot of doctors are saying and, and healthcare professionals are saying, oh, Louise, it's really helpful for the consultation. But actually women are saying it's great because it's giving me sort of this, this empowerment, which is really important. But also through the app, obviously, there's lots of information. We're adding articles all the time onto it. Um, people can take part in different sort of health experiments if they want to cut out sugar or do some meditation or increase their exercise, they can join all that. And then um, there's a community section so people can share their stories and that sort of thing. So there's a lot going on with it. And it's a free app, just to reassure those people that are listening. It's the function that's free is always going to be free. We set it up doing that and it's, um, it's really important to me that women have access to free evidence-based information across the world. 
Wonderful. Well, don't go anywhere because we are going to be coming back with more free evidence-based information in just a moment. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So, Louise, let's pick up here on some of the other reasons, perhaps, why women might be having the menopause at different ages. We tend to think of menopause as an older woman's stage of life, but a significant number of younger women go through menopause too, don't they? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So if you look at the studies, and I think this is an underestimation, actually, but around one in 100 women under the age of 40, one in 1,000 under the age of 30 have an early menopause. So this means that their ovaries are not working adequately or they've stopped working when they're young. There's so many reasons. I've seen a few women who, when they were teenagers, they just had one period and nothing more and their ovaries hadn't developed properly quite unusual but it can happen I've seen quite a few young women who've had cancer lymphoma leukemia cervical cancer vulval cancer vaginal cancer and those treatments actually can affect the way ovaries work a bit like we were talking earlier about breast cancer some of the treatments can be temporary so you can have a temporary menopause but for some women it can be permanent and then this sounds really obvious but it's not always obvious to people that 
If you have your ovaries removed in an operation, so you have a bilateral oophorectomy, then you will become menopausal overnight. But actually, it's really interesting as well, because if you look at the definition of the menopause, it's all about periods. It's all about whether you've got periods or not. So you could argue that having your ovaries out, you've still got your womb. So will you be menopausal or not? Well, that's just an academic, I think, nonsical argument. Without your ovaries, you have no hormones. So therefore, you are menopausal. But some people have their womb removed and their ovaries stay in. And the ovaries are independent organs, of course, with their own blood supply. So people can still find that they are still having hormones. But how do you know what your periods are doing if you haven't got a womb? It's impossible, of course. But we do know from studies that people who have their ovaries remaining in after a hysterectomy are more likely to have an earlier menopause. So if you don't have your periods, it's really important to monitor your symptoms because you might get caught out. So anybody can be menopausal of any age or perimenopausal. So they might still be having periods. And then the other thing I think a lot about, as I know you do as well, Liz, is about which hormones are deficient. So with the menopause, often it's we talk about estrogen, we talk about progesterone, but then we've got testosterone as well. Now testosterone is a it's one of the most abundantly biological active hormones we have in our body we produce it in quite good doses when we're or quite good levels when we're younger and it gradually declines as we get older it's not a falling off the cliff decline like estrogen is it's produced by our ovaries but also by our adrenal glands and i think there's a lot more women out there who are testosterone deficient than being estrogen deficient um you know i personally use testosterone and I wish I'd started it 10 years before. I'm sure I've been testosterone deficient before I became perimenopausal. No one's looked at testosterone because all the studies are only looking at libido. We're allowed to prescribe testosterone if women are on HRT and still have reduced sexual desire. Some experts are saying women have to be severely psychologically distressed with their reduced libido and I have a bit of an issue with that because libido means different things to different people and libido is not just about a single hormone either. But we do know um, from our clinical research, but also from what women tell us generally, that their mood, energy, concentration, stamina improve with testosterone, which is no surprise because we've got testosterone receptors in lots of important areas in our brains. So, you know, we need to do more research looking at, you know, should we be monitoring testosterone levels in younger women? Should we be thinking about giving testosterone back to women before we start giving antidepressants yeah yeah you know, it's something that's, big that's questions, naturally really occurring important. you know in in the body and of course this is the whole gender inequality that the research is not being done and the hormonal health for women is not seen as a priority i remember i'm just going to share my own personal experience here because i'd been on hrt for possibly i don't know six to nine months maybe starting off with estrogen and progesterone and we got to know each other this month must be, I don't know, going back six, seven years maybe. And we met, I think possibly for a podcast, possibly for one of these. And uh, you said to me afterwards, you said, actually, Liz, do you mind if I if I just say something? And I was thinking, oh my goodness, what's she going to say? And she said, um, I've just noticed that you sometimes are fumbling for your words. 
and you're just not recalling your memory recall is is not perhaps as sharp and as clear as I would have expected from somebody doing your job and uh, have you considered testosterone now that you've got your estrogen and your progesterone kind of nicely balanced I thought wow I hadn't, I hadn't ever really thought about it because I'd always thought it had been associated purely with libido and, and sex drive and sure enough I started rubbing on that little pea-sized amount of testosterone and my brain came back you know I no longer fumble for my words I can remember things and I see other girlfriends and I have that that same conversation with them now when I notice that they are really stumbling and can't remember and are forgetful and have this kind of brain fog and I say to them, well, you know, have you considered perhaps having a little bit of testosterone to see what difference it might make to you? And so many of them are saying, I can't believe it. I've, I've, you know, I've got my brain back. It's, it's it astonishing. It's amazing, isn't it? And it's so safe. Yeah. You know, it's just. Well, that's the thing. And no, no, I do no, remember. No side effects. Yeah, I was sitting in your studio kitchen and I, it was the first time I'd met you face to face. You're very brave. <laughs> looking at, and I do have a way of looking at people and knowing whether they're on HRT or not. And I, and actually now I can tell whether people are on testosterone or not. It's really interesting. Mm. But I remember, and I, I am a really honest person, as you know. I, uh, It's just life's too short to not be honest. And. I remember thinking, do I say something to Liz I'm so glad you did. <laughs> but I thought I might never see you again. <laughs> and I always have this thing, I don't know about you, I always think, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if I do this? Or will I regret doing it? And someone said to me a while ago, which I think is really important, you always regret what you don't do, not what you do. And I thought, yeah, actually, do you know what? I'm just going to say to Liz, I think she'll either never see me again because she'll think I'm really rude or she'll actually really <laughs> thank me because it will help her. And it really has. And, you know, I want to open that out as, as a conversation. And it's it's just really sad that there is a real postcode lottery when it comes to testosterone prescribing. I, I know some, you know, GPs are happy to go off license as they do with so many things in so many situations and others see it as a, as a huge red flag and a no. But of course, there is the private version, Androfem, which has the license for women, which comes from Western Australia. Well, it's not licensed in the UK for no, women, it's no. licensed in Australia. Australia. So yeah, and it's, it's a shame because it's one of the safest things I've prescribed. You know, in our clinic, we only prescribe it for women who have reduced libido because actually a lot of people do but we monitor their libido but we also find like I say these other symptoms improve and actually recently we've started a, a cheaper consultation in the clinic where people who are stable on HRT can come and we've called it a testosterone quick start consultation so they literally are on HRT they feel fine they want testosterone they choose whether they have the cream or the gel which is obviously the male gel but it's smaller lower doses because it's slightly cheaper and that's been really popular. People have really enjoyed those consultations and the doctors and the clinicians that work with me. I've got a pharmacist who does these consultations, a male pharmacist actually, who does these consultations as well as um, nurses. And they're finding it really rewarding because these women are really well read. And, you know, for me, when I'm with a patient, a woman who's really knowledgeable, it's just so rewarding, Liz, because you can talk in a very sensible way about what they want, what they want to get out of the consultation. And the other thing is for them to know that it's okay to try something. You know, if I thought you might be depressed or have schizophrenia, I would try a drug. I wouldn't be able to do a blood test to diagnose schizophrenia or manic depression or bipolar. But we give these drugs and we do it a lot in medicine, but there's something about hormones that people get really scared. Whereas I always think, 
let's just try it. Let's make sure it's safe. We're giving it back as a physiological amount and then review and see what happens. And if you don't feel any better, well, then stop taking it. It's fine. I think that's one of the things that women can say, actually, to their GP if they do get any pushback when it comes to prescribing is to say, well, will you prescribe it for six months? And then we'll come back and we'll see and we can discuss it together, you know, how I feel and whether there have been any side effects or any downsides. And I think when you compare it to, say, the contraceptive pill, which is a synthetic hormone compared to the body-identical hormones that you're prescribing for HRT, now the modern forms, and it's a higher dose with greater health risks, and yet we seem to be able to just waltz into any GP surgery and ask for the contraceptive pill, and yet when we reach a certain age and we want our hormones back in a safer, lower-dose format, we're, we're denied them. I mean, to me, it just, it, it seems so wrong and so devastating in terms of health. I, I, I get all soapboxy when I start talking about this because it, it's so enraging. I can't actually imagine how you, how you do your job because you see women who've suffered the injustice of healthcare day after day. I mean, hour by hour, you're, you're seeing them and you're seeing the real human face of this, the human face of suffering. Yeah, but then I also think I'm in a really privileged position is because I can I can help people. And in fact, Marcus Daly, who's one of the directors of our board uh, of the clinic and, and also Balance App, said to me a while ago, and it, it's all his fault, actually, why I do this work. Because He said to me, Louise, you've got to slow down. Don't do an app. Don't do all these other things because you can't help every woman. And I sat there and looked at him and I thought, Marcus, I'm going to suss you out. I'm going to try and help as many women as I like, as I can. But actually, you know, it's not just about me sitting down and prescribing them or talking to them about the right treatment. You know, using the app, using the book I've written, using these platforms, actually, it means we can reach more people and then we can give them the confidence, hopefully, to get the treatment that they want. And if People think that I'm really deluded thinking that I can manage and treat everybody who comes to my clinic. You know, it's 1.2 billion women who are menopausal worldwide. I do not want to run a clinic for 1.2 billion billion, So we can do it in other ways. And I think that's what's really, really important. And actually, as you know, the clinic, some of the profits are enabling me to fund balance. You know, balance has cost over a million pounds so far. I could be very wealthy if I didn't do balance. Yes. But I've decided as the founder and owner of the business, that I'm going to use some of the profits to put back because I can't bear these stories anymore, Liz. Mm. It's really quite distressing. And we've spoken before on this platform, and I know Rebecca Lewis has spoken with you, who's the other director of the company with me, about the mental health aspect. And yes. that's what saddens me every day, that women mentally and are struggling. You know, 98% of women who come to our clinic have psychological symptoms due to their 98%. low hormones. That's not fair, is it, it? Well, and we've talked a lot about the physical aspect, you know, the achy joints, the headaches, the tinnitus, you know, all those things. And, you know, I'd love to talk about osteoporosis and all the others, but let's, let's focus on the mental health side because there seems to be just... I don't know quite where to start the fact that so many women midlife women go to their doctors with low mood due to falling estrogen and are simply given antidepressants for which there is no evidence that they're going to help menopausal women because why would they they're they're designed for clinical depression and that's not what you have is it when you've got low mood due to lowered estrogen surely the only way is is to replace those estrogen um, cells the, the little receptor sites in in your brain 
there's been some amazing work, hasn't there, coming out of Australia in particular, looking at mental health, brain scans, Alzheimer's. Talk to us about what's happening in the brain with oestrogen. Yeah, I think even before looking at research, Liz, let's just take a step back and think about, I've already said we've got hormone receptors all over our body. So look at our brain, actually. It's It's got oestrogen and testosterone and progesterone receptors in our brain well is there a reason that they're there of course they are because they have really important actions in our in our brain and they work as uh, neurotransmitters so they just transmit signals from one nerve cell to another nerve cell and our brain works in obviously it's the most amazing organ isn't it but it has different functions but they communicate so you've got your memory area of your brain you've got your happy area of your brain you've got your coordination because our brain works out whether I want to pick my right arm up and pick up a pen it's my brain that's doing that of course we've got that even our sort of thermoregulatory part of our brain how we how our temperature adjusts our sleep is all controlled by our brain our breathing controlled by our brain we've got all these higher functions that are happening but they're all coordinated by these sequence of neurotransmitters And we know that oestrogen and testosterone work as neurotransmitters in the brain. So then it goes without saying almost, it's so obvious, isn't it? If you don't have them, the brain doesn't function in the same way. Now, for some people, they can compensate. And we know that for, you know, our our brain can adapt very quickly. And so if someone's had a stroke, for example, and damaged part of the brain, other areas of the brain compensate and as you know, my father had a brain tumour and he had extensive surgery and he had a lot of his brain taken out, but he he could still function, not quite as well. But it's it's just amazing, this capacity of the brain to function. So there's a lot of people that say, well, this menopause transition, this brain fog doesn't last very long because the brain's adapting. Well, actually, I don't want my brain to adapt. I want it to be the best version of it, it can be. And so we want it to be lit up in a way that it should be. So when they've looked at studies, there are studies that show, well, two things really. If you again look at the obvious things, there's lots of studies known for a long time that women have an increased risk of cognitive decline and dementia when they're menopausal. And this risk is higher the longer they are without hormones. So women under the ages of 40 who have a bilateral nephrectomy have their ovaries removed, have a far higher risk of dementia. And some of you might have listened to my recent podcast with Walter Rocker from the Mayo Institute talking about this because that's what he's dedicated his research to the last 20 years. So that's undeniable research that the longer a woman is without hormones, the higher risk. And that I'm not saying that every woman who has their ovaries removed and they're younger is going to get dementia. Of course I'm not, but I'm saying the risk increases. So what happens when they have their ovaries removed? Ah, oh, they have their hormones removed as well. So it's a cause and effect, and that's very different to what we were talking about, toothpaste and tooth cleaning and breast cancer. It, it seems very obvious that it's related to our hormones when we know how our hormones work in our brain anyway. So then they've tried to do studies looking at, well, does taking HRT reduce risk of dementia? And it's got very confusing because the studies are not very well set up. Some of them, as you know, have used older types of HRT, the synthetic progestogens. And one study from Finland showed there might be an increased risk of dementia. But we know that the synthetic progestogens have an increased risk of clot and stroke. So they probably increase the risk of multi-infarct dementia, a different type of dementia. We don't know because the study wasn't set up properly. 
There's some really good work by different groups. There's uh, Roberta Brinton, Henrik Zetterberg, who have shown that the, when you give body identical hormones, the brain works better and there's a lower risk of dementia. These studies, again, are very, they're not brilliant. They're quite small. Henrik's work was only using quite a low dose of estrogen and no testosterone. But we're working with, with his researchers and others actually in the UK trying to set up to work to look to see how protective oestrogen, so proper body identical oestradiol and testosterone are at improving cognition, reducing risk of dementia. Because if we can show this in research, it's really going to make such a huge difference for many people. Mm. Weren't there some published studies recently looking at um, brain scans of women and connecting that with a lowered risk of Alzheimer's for women taking HRT? Yes, yes, there are. Um, and so there are brain scans, there are cognitive tests, there are also some biomarkers as well. Um, there's things, something called tau protein, also amyloid, and these levels can change when people have dementia. So we want to sort of look at everything. And so um, Dan Reisel and I, Dan's our um, clinical research lead, who's actually, he's got a neuroscience PhD, he's incredibly clever, and he's got a medical degree, and he's a gynecologist. So now I'm linking in all his skills using his phenomenal knowledge so we can, you know, do this research properly because we've, we've got to look at sort of everything. So it's the, it's the symptoms, it's a cognitive test, it's biochemically what's happening and then looking at brain scans. But as you know, research is really expensive to set up. There's no big pharma behind it. There's nobody that interested. The number of studies that have been done in menopause are just vanishingly small. Um, the number of studies that are done in Alzheimer's are huge, but there aren't any good quality studies undergoing in Alzheimer's looking at hormones. Looking at so hormones. we've got to just change that. Gosh, we so have. And, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, again, coming back to, to funding and I guess vested interest here, our hormones are very cheap to prescribe you know it's it's pennies per day mm. to replace women's hormones with even with the modern body identical kind that we can get on the NHS and so therefore I guess the cynic in me would say well where's the vested interest in developing or doing research that shows gosh that's going to reduce women's risk of dementia and Alzheimer's significantly when actually they can develop a new patentable drug that can be sold for thousands. Well there is that and there's also the other side looking at you know, people keep talking about, especially with my work, I'm medicalizing the menopause, I'm forcing people to take HRT. Well, actually, it's being medicalized already because most women I see at my clinic as new patients are on a blood pressure lowering drug, they're on a statin for their cholesterol, they're on painkillers for their joints, they're on antidepressants. And all of these drugs are made by pharma. A lot of them, they make the pharma a lot of money. And so there is a bit of an interest, and it's even bigger in America, to keep mm. medicalizing the menopause in a non-hormonal way. Yeah, because if, if you take women off all of that, yes. what's going to happen to the bottom line? I imagine that the, the discussions behind closed doors could if you were so inclined to, to go down that uh, that path or enter that rabbit hole, be saying, actually, do you know what? Do we really want to give women their natural hormones back? Mm. Surely mm. we I mean, it's, give them medication. It, 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 it's very similar thinking about, you know, I'm going a bit off topic, but look at ultra-processed foods. We know that they increase risk of cancer. We know they increase the risk of obesity. Yet the big 
companies are carrying on because they're making money from it. Whereas you know more than anyone else how important it is to not have processed foods, to eat really healthily, but that's so much more expensive. And it's just, there's no vested interest, is there? We haven't got these big companies. So No, poor farmers, you know, growing cabbages or, oh, totally. or egg farmers, you know, who is know, siding totally for them and there's no billboard advertising campaign saying, you know, eat more cabbage, even though that's going to be no. so health protective. Yeah, so it's so wrong. <laughs> it is, but it's so right that you are doing what you're doing and your team and the research that you're funding and, and all the free resources that you make available. Can you tell us a little bit about the websites where people can find you? Obviously, we've talked about the Balance app, which can be downloaded globally. Where else can we log on online to find you and your team? Well, I've got a new website, actually. I don't know if you know it. It's doctor, as in dr, louisenewson.co.uk because people were saying, well, are you balanced? Are you the clinic? What are you doing? So I've just launched this new website where you can find more about me because obviously I have my podcast as well, which is a weekly podcast. And now I've got my book, which is, as you know, Liz, a Sunday mm. Times bestseller. Well done. Very exciting. <laughs> um and then there's a, we've got Balance app, but there's also a website called balance-menopause.com, which has over two and a half thousand resources on it. Um, so I'm sort of, I'm a bit annoying because I feel like I'm everywhere, but that's good because... The more touch points we have, the better, people. definitely. Louise, thank you so much for your time. I know you're massively busy, but I hope that this podcast is widely listened to and widely shared. And very best of luck with your book. It's genius. And I hope it stays at the top of the charts. Well deserved. Thank you very much again from all of us for all that you do. Thank you. Oh, well, thanks for inviting me, Liz. Well, what an absolute delight as ever to catch up with Dr. Louise Newson. And I'll make sure that we put all the links to all those resources that we've talked about in the podcast notes and, of course, on our website as well. And if there's something that you would love to know a little bit more about, either because it's directly affecting you or maybe you're just a little bit curious about how to live a better second half, do get in touch. You can find me and the team on social media at Lizelle Wellbeing. That's the place to leave your thoughts and comments and questions and of course I am on Instagram too at Me. well for more absolutely mind-blowing knowledge about oestrogen do please make sure that you have listened to the episode of the Lizelle Wellbeing Show with Professor Avram Blooming it is extraordinary I have had to listen to it several times myself even after recording it with him he is legendary and it's been one of our most widely shared podcasts actually once you listen to it you will want to share it with the women that you know and love and you can always head to lizardwellbeing.com for more helpful resources as well as links to things like that oh and if you'd prefer to listen to that episode and all future episodes ad free you can subscribe now to the lizard wellbeing show plus on apple podcasts for a small monthly fee and once you're a subscriber you also get 24 hour early access to those ad free episodes as well. So until the next time we chat, go well. Bye-bye. The Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, and is produced by Anushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, 
there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.